0: two-week diversion from our series on Philippians as we consider um, officer elections, and we'll begin officer nominations uh, next week. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about um, the role and the call of elders and deacons in the Lord's Church. If you're with us visiting this morning know that we're in Philippians usually, but this morning we're doing a little internal housekeeping as we get ready for uh, officer nominations. You'll remember from announcements that officer nominations will begin next week uh, and they'll run for a month. And so we'll have some more nuts and bolts of that on a handout uh, next week. Um, but until then, let's look at First Timothy chapter 3, but let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we pray that you would help us in this time together as we open your word, that you would bless the reading of your word and its preaching. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous—not slanders, rather, but so reminded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Amen. Well, as we come to another chat about what it means being an elder and a deacon, let us remember last week our our time together as we looked at John 13. As we looked at the example of Christ's service and humility. As one to whom all things have been given... And yet he would set aside his two cloaks, just in his loincloth cloth, and get down and, and wipe the feet of the dirt and dung that clung to the feet of his disciples. And as we come to think about officers and, and uh, elders and deacons, we have to ask the question: Who is the head of the church? Who is the head of this church of First Pres? Who is the head of the church universal wherever it may be found in its many denominations? Depends on who you ask, right? Certainly, our Roman Catholic friends would say the Pope, he's the head of the church. But, but biblically, we know that's just not true. Biblically, we find that Christ himself is the head of the church universal and our church as well. As we consider the God-man Jesus, our Savior, when he would wash the feet of his disciples this is the head of our church, the one who came not in power, the one who came uh, setting aside his glory, the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Colossians 1.18 tells us, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Sometimes it's hard to remember that Christ not the elders not the deacons that Christ himself is the head of first press. I think most of the time it's hard to remember that because we can't see Jesus, right? We won't see Jesus until he comes again or we go to be with him before he comes. But you know when Jesus left this earth he didn't stop being the head of his church. He didn't stop being lord, he didn't stop being master. In fact, it was to our benefit and for the blessing of his church that he would go away, that he would send another helper. And so as we think about nominations, let us remember that these men that we are nominating, we're not nominating to be head of First Pres. In fact, we're, we're nominating them that they might lay down their lives for Jesus and for his church. We are calling them to a place of honor for sure but a place of honor that is defined by service and humility and love. Even as the true deacon, the true shepherd, the true elder Jesus, as he exemplified for us in his earthly ministry and even continues to do so now, it is Christ who is the head of this church. Do you remember imaginary numbers in math? Did you do this? I never understood why we studied imaginary numbers. If they're not real, then why do we study them? In fact, they have no bearing on anything I've ever done from uh, balancing a checkbook or figuring out what grade I had to have to, you know, keep a, a certain grade on a, on a, in a class. The only really things I use math for. Imaginary numbers really never came into it. It was an academic theoretical kind of thing, But Jesus being the head of this church is not an academic or theoretical thing, not just some abstract theological construct. For when your elders and deacons get together, we spend a considerable amount of time in prayer as we seek wisdom from the one who is the head of this church. But Christ, in his wisdom, has always established officers to help lead his church, the Old Testament church and the New Testament church. And we see this first with the office of elder. There have always been elders in God's church, Old Testament and New. We remember a very obvious example of when Jethro came to Moses and said, you're just doing too much. You need folks to help you, to adjudicate, to be judges, to be elders. But it goes back even before then. Christ has always used elders to help lead his church, and so he continues to uh, today. And so we have in our church both the office of elder and deacon, An elder is someone who is called mainly for the spiritual oversight of the church, the spiritual leadership of the church. And if you see in your handout, we might divide that into four distinct roles. The first is that elders are called to shepherd the flock, teaching elders and ruling elders alike. I'm a teaching elder, and those whom you nominate are ruling elders of the congregation. We have the same authority. And we come together and we shepherd the flock. We are all pastors Not just me, the elders collectively are the pastors, the shepherds of Christ's flock. Even as we think of how Christ would shepherd his people. And we said in Psalm 100 in our um, responsive call to worship that we are God's sheep, the sheep of his pasture. So the Lord has entrusted to the elders the spiritual oversight, the pasturing of those in our congregation. It is a task, a weighty task a task of great privilege to be able to pastor each other. They are called also to oversee the flock. In fact, you'll notice in 1 Timothy 3, this word overseer. There are three words that are used in the New Testament to refer to the office of elder, overseers, um, shepherds, and elders. They're all used interchangeably. This refers, overseers refers to uh, the administrative and organizational tasks of the church, Authority is vested in Christ, but he uses local elders to run the church. We're also called to guard the flock. Much like David in his time when he was a shepherd, he would defend his flock from wild animals. So too the elders are tasked with guarding the flock. Um, You've actually seen this here today. If you are in uh, the ladies' parlor class or Miss Charlotte's class or Jerry's class, you'll notice that we are making a curriculum change. And the reason is that the elders are seeking to guard the flock because the the curriculum we had been using, several of our members have brought to our attention there are some unhelpful bits. And so a desire to guard the flock from unhelpful teaching, uh, the Lord has led us to, to change our curriculum. So we're seeking to guard the flock. We're also called, I think, most weightily, to be an example to the flock. Paul, in his exhortation of Timothy, he said, to set an example in faith, love, speech, let's see, speech, conduct, faith, love and purity. And so the elders are meant to be a, an example, especially in holiness and purity for the church. These are indeed weighty tasks for an elder. And let me be clear, you'll never find a perfect nominee. And if you do, run. Because it means somebody's hiding something. God in his wisdom and his glory and his providence uses broken vessels like me and others to help lead his flock. But there are qualifications that a man must meet in order to, be, uh, to serve as an elder. The first is that he must be a man above reproach. Um, one uh, commentator put it this way. He said, if you put a, a man's name and picture on a billboard, perhaps as you're coming in 31, and you're to ask, solicit um, any kind of information about these men, what, what would you receive? Uh, there was a church in Birmingham actually did this. They, they took out a full spread, color spread, in the Birmingham newspaper. Birmingham News, I think it's called. And they had the pictures and names and professions of all of their elder nominees. And said, if you have anything against these men, here's the address to write to. It had to be signed. It couldn't be anonymous. And it had to be corro- corroborated by different you know, letters. You couldn't just be angry at somebody. But wow, wow. An elder must be a man above reproach. That doesn't mean perfect, that doesn't mean sinless, for we'll never find one of those, short of our true elder, our elder brother, Jesus. But an elder is one who should not have any major complaints against him. And therefore, he can't be a recent convert, and he must be well thought of by outsiders. As we know, you know, one of the roles of an elder is to set an example and zeal for evangelism. And if he's not well thought of by outsiders, if he's not respectable, then his witness and the example he sets for the congregation will be tarnished. An elder must be a man with godly relationships. Godly relationships. You know, the best way to see how a man will, will, will rule and, and serve the household of God is to see how first he serves um, and orders his own household. We see this in 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, anyone, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he uh, care for God's church? Really, the, the work of an elder become it starts well before a man is nominated. Are his children believers? Is he shepherding his children towards the Lord? Is he rearing them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and the doctrines of our holy religion? Are his children free of the, of the charge of debauchery? But most importantly, when it comes to godly relationships, he must be a one-woman man. That's the literal Greek translation. It certainly refers to bigamy. You can't um, you know, have more than one wife and be an elder. It also refers that uh, certainly divorce is a question that often comes up. Uh, and certainly if there's a divorce of ungodly nature, that would render a man uh, incapable of serving. Um, a godly divorce is a little different. It's a matter of conversation with a session. But he must lead his wife well. Even as Christ led and, and laid down his life for the flock. In Ephesians 5, so too a, a husband must lay down his life for his wife. If a man would not lay down his life for his wife, then he will not for the church. He must be a man of blameless conduct. Um, Paul is going to provide uh, seven positive things and six negative things. We certainly won't hit on all of them. But is, uh, is this man a, a sober-minded man? Is he able to respond well in difficult situations or when he's uh, criticized? Officers have big targets on their back. Is he self-controlled, showing restraint and moderation in life? Is he a lover of good? Does he call good good and evil evil? Or does he mix his words? Is he upright and just, able to make objective decisions without partiality? Is he holy and devout? Does Does he love the Lord and walk with him daily? Is he disciplined? especially in matters of spiritual walk with the Lord. And is he gentle? Gentle is not a word that our world would use of a godly man or of a, of a man's man. But as we think about the example of our Savior, the, two, the true shepherd, the true elder, and how he gently washed the feet of his disciples as he was a lamb led to slaughter, and he did not raise his voice, He is one who will not break a bruised reed. He will not extinguish a flickering flame. He is a gentle Savior. And so too we are called to be gentle. On the other hand, um, he must not be violent or a drunkard. The Bible doesn't say it's wrong to drink, but it does say that it's wrong to get drunk. Is he a lover of money or an arrogant man, quick-tempered or quarrelsome? Perhaps towards the list is this last category, a man of faithful witness and ministry. It is wise to nominate those who are already doing the work of an elder. They may not have all the position and title, but is it someone who is hospitable and knows the word, knows the gospel as a heart that is transformed and is loving those around them? Is he apt to teach? This is one thing that distinguishes an elder and a deacon, that an elder must be able to teach. Now, this doesn't mean that he has to be able to teach a a seminary-level class, but can he fill in on a Sunday school? Can he clearly explain Scripture, and especially the Gospel? The picture that we have from Paul of an elder is one that is a man that is called from God, who has walked with him for many years and has a proven track record when it comes to character, godliness, and service. Ultimately, because shepherds are meant to mirror the character, godliness, and service of our true shepherd, Jesus. And how did our true shepherd serve us? He served us by laying his life down for messy sinners like you and me. The job of an officer is messy, exceedingly so. Because we as officers are messy, and we serve messy folks. But it's not to our strength that we look, but to the strength of our Savior. Well, as we shift gears, as we think about a deacon, let's turn to Acts chapter 6, if you will. Acts chapter 6. You're heading left. You're going to go past Romans. Whereas the office of elder has been around for a long time, the office of deacon is new. Well, I mean, about 2,000 years new. Um, and it was an historical, uh, it rose out of an historical situation of great need. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out uh, from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And whatever they said pleased the whole gathering. And they, cho- and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, and Prochorus, and Acanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they had prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. By the way, I love this last phrase here. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What an impact that would have had. So the office of deacon arose because many of the tasks that the apostles and elders had taken up in the early church in Jerusalem, they were just too many. And logistically, they were having trouble keeping up, particularly some of the uh, widows of the Greek-speaking Christians uh, were being uh, missed, passed over accidentally in the daily distribution of food. And as the church began to grow and outstrip its organizational, instructional nature, um, there rose a need for more men to help. And so the um, apostles called the folks together and said, hey, look, choose some folks, some men amongst you, and we'll lay hands on them. And then we'll call them to this holy task. It was an important task. When we read that the apostle said it's not right for us to give up preaching the word to wait tables, to us that sounds like a pejorative kind of thing, like this is beneath us or or too too far below us. That's that's not what's going on there. From the very earliest bits of the old testament, the care of the widows and the poor was one of the paramount things that God's people were called to do. And so when they called together the crowds and, and tell them to find seven men. This is a calling to a great and a very important task. In fact, we find in one of the prophets that um, one of the reasons lobbied against uh, Israel, the reason they were sent into exile is because they had not taken care of the widows. And so they want to be careful not to fall into the same trap. So we see uh, that a deacon is called to a separate office from elder it is an office that is called to deal with mostly physical things, but that doesn't mean it's not a spiritual office. If it meant it wasn't a spiritual office, then we could just outsource these things to somebody else, but we can't. There's a spiritual office that God has called specific men to serve his church in a special way. Indeed, they're great um, rewards. You won't find many rewards spoken of for uh, elders in scripture, there are many, but um, 1 Timothy 3 actually talks about uh, two specific rewards uh, for deacons being well thought of and growing sure in your faith uh, in the Lord. So what are the roles of a deacon? The the role of a deacon is to care for those who are in need. This is the primary role, both those inside and outside the congregation. This is why our caring committee is a committee of the diaconate. Uh, It is their role to care for those who are in need. They are to collect and to distribute funds as needed And as they do so, they are to develop the gift of liberality or generosity um, to help us as members of the congregation to um, give willingly to the Lord. They are also to care for the property of the church. Certainly with our historic building, our our deacons stayed pretty busy with this one. And they do a fantastic job. But it's such a weighty task. Not just any men are called to this, but specific men that the Lord has set aside for service and just like elders, they must be men well thought of. They must be men of good repute. That is, they must be dignified and well thought of in community. Apart from the pastor, perhaps the, the office of deacon. And our deacons are the most visible people in the community. And therefore, they must have a good reputation. They cannot be double-tongued, meaning they say one thing and do another They must not be a drunkard or greedy. Again, Scripture doesn't say that the drinking is a sin. It says that drunkenness is a sin. They must be men who are neither stingy, whose hands are neither stingy nor sticky, adding something to their own pocket. They must be men of God and full of spirit. Um, It's interesting that, that this isn't a phrase that's used of elders, though it certainly would apply to them as well. In Acts 6, we read that Stephen was full of the spirit one commentator put it this way he said their lives are directed by god's spirit so that they are spiritually sensitive and are able to make good judgments which is a sign of spiritual maturity therefore they are to be full of wisdom one man that i know well says that knowledge comes from a book and wisdom comes from the lord and isn't this true the deacons face many difficult challenges every time they meet, hard things, and sometimes there just aren't good answers. And therefore they must be men who hold fast to the mystery of the faith and know the word inside and out so that they might have wisdom and be full of the Spirit to make the right decisions. They are also to be proven and tested men. They are to have shown forth, just like elder candidates, that they are doing the work of a deacon already. They must be able to manage um, manage their own household and children well. First Timothy three twelve. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. The, the same thing is true of the elders. That the um, the best way to decide, to find if a man will do well with the church is see how he's doing well with his own household. There's an, an addition. There's an interesting addition that I think certainly applies to elders, but isn't put explicitly so. But it is here in verse 311 of First Timothy, and it's that um, deacons must have godly wives. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. When a man is called to office, it is the man who leads, it is the man who serves, but it is a joint effort too, and needs the help of his bride and her support. Well, this is a quick survey for sure of these two offices, and my fellow officers, I would encourage you to, as we look at this list, it certainly brings us to opportunity for repentance, doesn't it? For how many ways do we fail? How many ways do we constantly come to the Lord and ask for, for His forgiveness, how we have missed the mark in these areas? My desire certainly would be, and the Lord's desire would certainly be, that that we would have a diaconate and a a session that is full of men of humility. That when we read such a list, we don't say, I've got it together. But instead, Lord, help me. Because here's the thing, our Savior is the only one, the only deacon, the only elder who truly um, leads as he ought. And we look to him for strength, and we look to him for salvation, we look to him for forgiveness. I love Mark ten forty five for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you know the Greek word that is used there? It's the word deacon. For even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed, but to deacon, to serve. And how did he serve? How did he serve his sheep? How did he serve his flock? of becoming the perfect Lamb of God and laying down His life, that we whose souls been washed by His blood will have forgiveness and spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You would raise up men of Your choosing to the office of elder and deacon. Father, empower us by Your Spirit that we might um, look to You and serve well, even as we wait the day where we will... um, Give account for those who you have placed um, under us, Lord. Lord, help us. We thank you for the example of Christ and for the salvation that comes because of his service to you and for his people. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.